with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Welcome to After 9. I'm the host for the next hour, uh, Eric Alma. My guests today are <coughs> Sheldon Clare, James Steidel, and Herb Martin. We're going to have a number of different topics that we're going to be talking on. and uh, We're going to start off with the uh, change of hands of the local newspaper. I just wanted to, before we got into that, just to mention that um, the Kamloops newspaper shut down uh, not that long ago, after uh, 35 years in uh, in Kamloops, and uh, they blamed that closure on a number of different, uh, for a number of different reasons, and it sort of sounded like uh, we were heading the same direction. Um, the closure will leave Kamloops without a newspaper for the first time since 1884. <coughs> Prince George Citizen here, I think, started in. Uh, 1915 or 1916, but prior to that, we had, uh, I think probably Central Fort George or South Fort George had a newspaper from 1909 to 1916. Um, so we've had newspapers around for a long time, and of course there was one in Quinell, I just can't think of the name of it right now, that Ma Murray ran, and it was uh, Caribou Observer or something, I can't remember, but it was quite a famous newspaper. She was kind of a radical newspaper person. So lots of history in the newspaper business. So what we're facing now is <coughs> Glacier News has sold the local citizen paper to uh, one of the local people in Prince George, Cameron Stoltz. And uh, kind of interesting because as near as I can tell by doing some research on it, the local newspaper here, the Citizen's always been owned by a corporation, and usually back east or something, uh, not owned locally by a local person. So this will put a little different spin on our, our local people, I'm sure. So I'm just going to go around the table with our guys and just get some general comments on what they kind of see or they assume might happen and for a newspaper in Prince George in the uh, foreseeable future. And we'll start with... Uh, Sheldon. Uh, thanks, Eric, and good morning, everybody. I, I think it's quite laudable that Cameron is stepping up to uh, encourage the continuance of a community paper. I think community local news is critically important for a community. Uh, what the face of that paper will look like, of course, is, a, is another thing. I, I'm, I'm frankly uh, surprised he, that he would have the resources to do that. I mean, he's a pretty busy business guy, and I know, I'm sure he's doing well with that. But it is a big commitment to step forward to take on a, a media that has is a, un, been under threat and under pressure, especially with the rise of social media. I mean, the citizens pretty much gone online uh, in, in recent years. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of direction that the newspaper takes under new ownership. And as, as Eric pointed out, it's not usually been... Uh, locally owned for a long, long time. And I think it's also good to recognize that we also had the free press in Prince George for a number of years, which uh, ended up not being able to make it for various reasons, and it ended the competition in advertising, and so the citizen basically became in many respects a kind of a local monopoly for that, but facing the aspects of competition from social media. 
and the, the internet uh, uh, promotion. So I, I guess that's all about all I have to say about it, Eric. Okay, James, you got something on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad it didn't close down. Uh, Glacier Media was the big uh, agglomerate that was running it. Apparently, they were losing money. I think somewhere around $50,000 they lost last year, which which isn't a, a huge amount of money. I was kind of surprised it wasn't more. And, you know, I think the, the fact that the citizen never got that uh, advertising budget with the city, that the city stopped advertising, putting public notices in the paper, it kind of highlights how important that little chunk of change was for, for keeping the citizen operational. You know, and, and this, this when city council voted that down, not to reinstate that funding, you know, they talked about, you know, that that was like a small amount of money, but actually it turns out that was probably could have been the make it or break it uh, amount for to keep our local paper running so anyway well hopefully we can we can see the citizen earn a uh, profit uh without losing more staff i think they're down to it was crazy that one of the stories there it said that the citizen used to have a hundred staff at one point and now they're down to i think eight or nine uh it's amazing they're still running and it's amazing we still have a paper and and uh you know, I don't really agree with uh, Cameron Stoltz politically and a lot of stuff, but good for him for stepping up and and keeping the paper going. It's, it's, uh, I think it's certainly better than the alternative. Good. Yeah, I, I, I'm like everyone else. I'm I'm glad that Prince George still has a paper, and um, you know, it, it's uh, uh, it's a good thing Cameron uh, stepped up, and uh, uh, there's there's definitely an opportunity here. Or uh, uh, with local ownership to revitalize it. However, I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people talking that you know he, he does have an extensive political background, and um, you know, with the uh, federal conservatives and the uh, provincial liberals. So, <clears throat> you know, hopefully that uh, doesn't um, uh, I don't know uh, tilt the uh, tilt the deck on objectivity too much. However, I mean, that could be a, you know, a potential, um, uh, uh, you know, interesting uh, facet of this, uh, of the Prince George citizen, that he does have this uh, political uh, bias. And, um, but if he's open about it and, um, and entertains, uh, you know, different points of view, it could be a very interesting uh, little paper. Do you want to say something there, James? Yeah, I just want, just want to jump in. I did, I actually gave Cameron a call there a couple of days ago and, and, just to see what the deal was with the editorial independence of the paper. And he said, you know, the editor, Neil Godbelt's going to be in charge of that. And, and he's not going to uh, interfere with the editorial direction of the paper. So that, that was, uh, that was also good to hear. So anyway, being in a newspaper business in this day and age is, <laughs> is kind of, uh, not the greatest place to be. I just noticed like I was doing some reading on the camel shutdown and, and back in 2010, the people that owned the uh, Camelops newspaper actually bought the Prince George Free Press. That was in 2010. In 2015, they got rid of it because I guess they couldn't make any money on it. So they had a little uh, game or a little uh, business going here for a while. And, uh, you know, I don't know what would happen if Cameron hadn't picked it up, I suppose. Somebody else might have, or maybe we'd just gone to total digital from somewhere else. I don't know. But it's uh, kind of a new era in how the news gets around. And I'm not really too crazy about it, but that's the way it is. So I think we pretty well covered that off. We just wanted to get it out there for the people that maybe didn't know or hear about it. I want to move on from that to uh, 
Um, we've got a couple topics here. I think I think we want to get into the Trans Mountain Pipeline first because we've been spending a lot of money. We could buy a lot of newspapers with the money that we spent on that Trans Mountain Pipeline. We're just going to run the table again, starting with Claire, uh, Sheldon. And uh, just what do you think that is going on there or, or what's already gone on? This has been going on forever. Well, it's it had its challenges. Uh, in negotiating land access has been has been a big issue. They've also encountered some problems that are technical in nature in terms of uh, capacity of, of size of pipe and obstacles that they're running to in their drilling process. And as I understand it, they're trying to uh, figure out how to get around that, maybe by having a smaller volume pipeline to get through this latter point. Because the thing's getting close to done. And it, the fact of the matter is that this is needed. Now, whether one agrees or not with the, the philosophy of moving raw bitumen around and selling it unprocessed is, a, is another matter entirely. Uh, however, this is an important project. It does matter to the economy, and it needs to get finished as expeditiously as possible. Mm. Okay, James. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's a it's a complete boondoggle. I think it never should have been. It never this project never should have been uh, gone forward. The government never should have bought it. Uh, you know, if that private company wanted to have gone ahead and, and done this kind of ridiculous project, they should have done that. The government shouldn't have bailed that out. And what we're spending thirty billion dollars on this stupid thing, like it's unbelievable that uh, that our government is so beholden to the oil and gas sector that we would uh, that we would, you know, increase the debt load on the average Canadian to such a degree uh, to pros to to run a material that basically is going to benefit uh, the main beneficiary. This is going to be a bunch of foreign-owned corporations that have that have taken over the uh, oil patch or whatever. They've they've been firing tens of thousands of workers. It's all been automated, just like the sawmill industry. Like for for Canadians to have been suckered into this entire oil and gas fraud uh, is is frankly disgusting. What they're doing uh, to some of those last little nature strips down on the Lower Mainland. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, going through some of these parks in Burnaby, uh, going across under the Fraser River, it's just disgusting. It's heartbreaking, and uh, it never should have happened. That's my two cents on that stupid project. Well, don't forget they're they're expanding it. They've already done all the things that you're talking about when the first pipeline went through. So, well, yeah, that was yeah. a private company did that yeah. six years ago. No, no, but I'm talking about the damage to the environment. And that. Well, that's it's way. This <laughs> one's way more. They're they're double tracking yeah. a lot of the line. So the double tracking. Uh, if I was in Alberta or something selling oil uh, and I was opened up to a market and I'm going to be able to double my production, lots of money there. And the only reason we're doing this is because the Albertans are a bunch of babies and they'd, they'd want to separate if, uh, you know, we didn't give them all these free handouts. And meanwhile, they're, they're just trashing their province. They've got a bunch of uh, oil well, orphan oil wells all over the place. They're not doing anything about. Oh, you, know, it's you, you mean like our clear cuts? Yeah, well, hey, hey, at least we plant. <laughs> at least we plant pine trees and, and spray them with herbicides, Eric. Yeah, yeah. yeah we could maybe trade them two two clear cuts for one uh, abandoned oil. Oh well. Yeah, it's uh, it was a it was a terrible decision to go ahead with that uh, pipeline. There's there's adequate uh, pipeline capacity uh, going uh, east and south. Uh, there's there's. Uh, uh, Enbridge has uh, already increased the the diameter on the pipelines back to Michigan, where the uh, Koch brothers owned a bunch of refineries that use Alberta oil. 
there's no shortage of uh, pipeline space down to Texas where heavy oil is being used down there. So this is, um, you know, it's a, it was a, it's a pipe dream, let's put it that way, and a very expensive one. So, uh, you know, it was $30 billion. Uh, there's, Trudeau's looking for people to take it over now, and he's not getting very many takers. Uh, it was basically done because of Alberta blackmailing Canada. Um, and, um, you know, quite frankly, the whole uh, uh, aim of the pro- uh, Alberta Provincial Premiers, uh, the, there's the present one and the previous one, and, uh, well, multiple previous ones, is inexplicable. I mean, the the writing's on the wall for oil. Uh, uh, prices are, are coming down for oil. Saudi Arabia is uh, not producing, is only producing two-thirds of its capacity. Uh, it's trying to keep oil off the market. Uh, China's uh, next year is going to be um, uh, uh, basically increasing the renewable power that it produces to to such an extent that the its imports of oil are going to decrease. So Alberta should be trying to mend its fences with the rest of Canada because the only one who's going to be able to afford or or want to buy Albertan oil are going to be Canadians mm. in the future. And uh, Alberta's facing a, a tough future, actually. No, I don't see that. I see just the opposite. I mean, <clears throat> they seem, well, for one thing, the, the differential in a, a barrel of oil is going to drop once this thing is through from uh, $13 to eight or nine dollars or something about five or six dollars a barrel which will pay the cost for the transportation of it to wherever it's going and um, so that's a good thing i don't know if they're going to get through abbotsford and there when they go to that smaller pipe if they run into more problems it's going to they're going to be looking at another billion dollars before it's over if it's really serious if not they might get away with it so well you know we'll see more next year but (coughs) At the end of the day, we need a way to get that oil out of this country if we're going to be in the oil. And, and the general consensus in the oil industry that they'll be here doing the same thing 50 years from now. So maybe we're just living in a dream world. Go ahead. Oil and gas isn't going anywhere. I, I mean, if we if look around where we're sitting, we can look at products all over the place that are, are produced from oil and gas. Uh, it's uh, a product that's necessary. I think the excessive reliance on electrical grids that uh, is being touted as the solution to all problems, economic, ecological, and everything else is a fantasy. When we see uh, major power outages because of the failure of the electric grid, uh, then it's pretty clear we need to have alternative sources for heating homes. And when you see uh, steps being taken to try to eliminate viable inexpensive means of providing people with what they need in terms of heating and all the rest of it it's pretty clear gas and oil are here to stay yeah except that nobody actually heats with uh with oil anymore basically everyone's gone to natural gas or electricity so that's kind of moot right and the second point is that the cost of production for alberta oil is roughly between 40 and 50 bucks a barrel and the cost of production for saudi arabian oil is about 10 to 12 so when Saudi Arabia is sitting on four million dollars or four million barrels of production a day, uh, it's the the future does not look good for Alberta. F- Alberta is the highest cost producer in the world, and it's going to be uh, if if and when 
uh, actually it's not a matter of if, when the, the, the overall demand for world oil decreases, uh, and it's never going away, I never said that, it's going to decrease. Alberta will be the, the last man standing, or it won't be the last man standing, it'll be the highest cost producer, and it's going to have a hard time marketing its oil. That's the problem. Well, it's hard to say. It's uh, <laughs> that oil game's another funny game. So we're gonna wrap this one up, and uh, we're just about ready to go for a break here. We'll go for a break and then uh, come back with something else. Chat CB and CFIS present Tuesday Bingos. Pick up your bingo cards at CFIS twelve ninety nine Third Avenue Monday through Friday eight thirty to five or Saturday eight thirty to two. This is a reoccurring 19-plus event, Tuesday evenings at 7. Check out ChetTV.ca for the 2024 house rules, as well as prize amounts and ticket vendors. Chet TV Bingo in support of CFIS, Tuesday evenings at 7 on YouTube. BC Gaming License number 146929. Know your limit. Play within it. The Q3 Creative Business Hub is home to the Q3 Community Market. The market has tables available for home-based businesses year-round for greater exposure of your products and services. Reasonably priced in the air-conditioned comfort of the Q3 Creative Business Hub, it's ideal for crafters and independent professionals alike. Reserve your table today by emailing q3building at gmail.com. The Q3 Community Market, Saturdays from 830 to 2 at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi walked into Deb's Cafe. Deb asked them, what is this, some kind of joke? Like everyone else, they just wanted great coffee, a fresh, hearty lunch, and some tasty baked treats. Our specialty bakery also offers numerous choices that please diabetic and gluten-sensitive customers. If you're ready for a treat, let us put a smile on your face at Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, a 60% chance of light snow this morning, a high of minus 2. Tonight, mainly cloudy, a low of minus 7. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of minus 1. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're just going to finish off this oil uh, uh, situation that we're talking about, you know, because we do some strange stuff with our... uh, <clears throat> raw materials like exporting natural gas and, and uh, over to uh, Asia and Europe for that matter and then they turn around and convert it into uh, electricity or heating or whatever and so basically we're exporting the uh, our pollution to a foreign country but we're still polluting the same amount the, the, the natural gas comes from here and it doesn't matter if we send it from here and send it to China and they burn it off and into the air. Now I'm getting this from the idea that they're talking now they don't want you to be using natural gas. They want you to go to heat pumps and all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. And at the same t- time we're exporting natural gas and these people over there are burning it. So what are we really saying? You know, Don't pollute at home but it's okay to pollute in any other country yeah. in the world? Comment. Yeah, well, what, one of the things that concerns me is when we export raw bitumen because there's no value added. And I guess this could be compared to shipping out raw logs because we aren't adding value to it when we're exporting it. And when you process and refine raw bitumen into, into various grades of oil and gasoline and so on, you do c- create more environmental issues and more, there's more emissions and everything else. 
But the neat thing about raw bitumen is it can be stored pretty much indefinitely. Uh, refined gas and oil doesn't get to be stored indefinitely without losing a lot of its uh, uh, power, like especially gasoline. So I think when we're exporting raw bitumen and sending it to places like China, and China's been very aggressive about buying up gas and oil reserves all over the world and, and mineral resources generally, uh, then I think we have to be very, very careful about what is happening to foreign ownership of our resources. Yeah. James, comments? Yeah. Um, I, 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 agree with, uh, I agree with Sheldon there that uh, we've, we've, we do have to take a, take a look at the oil patch and then who's, who's owning that. And, and, yeah, I mean, your point about the pollution being offshore, I think it's, a, it's an important one. I mean, all the coal mines, all the coal, the train loads of coal that we ship out of this country that we don't count as part of our contribution to, to climate change. I think, you know, I think... I think we've got to get realistic about this climate change thing. I think uh, it's an existential threat. I think we're seeing that already outside. Where's the snow, guys? This is climate change. Uh, we're not getting rain. The weather patterns are getting interrupted. And if there's a, if there's a, who cares about oil and gas? If you don't have food, if there isn't rain that's, that's watering the prairies and that all happens at once, you know, there's going to be a major, major food crisis uh, across the planet and things can change in a heartbeat. You know, you're, you're, uh, your food, never mind your bitumen stand good. Like how long is your food? How much food can we store? Like you've got to, you've got to be producing food every year uh, to avoid any kind of, you know, civilizational collapse or whatever. And, and I think, I think we'll find out pretty soon that there's nothing reliable about, uh, about food production in this new reality, this new climate that we that we live in here. I mean, this is, this is totally different. I think, I don't think people are thinking enough about, uh, what we're doing i mean what's what's the solution yeah who good good question we've got other the, all these other countries burning a, a ton more uh fossil fuels than canadians are but i mean like you say eric we're sending them all of our we're helping them out with that right we're sending them in all this stuff and and the, the pollution that goes into producing a barrel of canadian oil is crazy like how many how many i heard probably knows the numbers how many barrels of oil do we got to burn to produce one barrel of oil in this country uh, well, in, in some of the uh, oil sands uh, productions, the, they're using two-thirds of an equivalent barrel of oil of natural gas to produce one barrel of oil. Yeah, so it's like almost, you almost so when you burn a, bo- a barrel of oil, you're almost burning two barrels. Yeah. Right? So anyway, not, not to be a depressed, uh, depressing doomer here this, on this fine morning. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I think we've got some big some big things to talk about, and, and nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, look in Alberta. There's there's oh, oh sorry, one one last thought. There was actually some some ideas like, hey, we should be pumping back to your water comment there at the break, Sheldon. We should be pumping water uh, with that pipeline to Alberta, and they've got rivers that are completely drying up right now. Uh, what? The, well, some of the headwaters of some of those rivers are are not flowing. They they haven't had rain in a lot of in a lot of places. There's no snowpack just like here, and you know, I mean, our Fraser River was pretty low. Like that was. Well, we should go for a walk out around Goat Island or Goat Hill, as it's going to be called soon, if we don't start to get more snow. Yeah, yeah, I, I already went and checked that out. It's 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 pretty wild. But uh, anyway, the idea was, hey, let's ship some water to Alberta with this pipeline. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a better use of it. I Go ahead, Herb. <laughs> uh, just I'll just I'll just run some numbers that I've run before. But you know we're we're selling our uh, Western Canada Select at about thirty three cents a liter to the Americans. We're buying back diesel at a dollar thirty. Uh, that's before tax, 
and then we're worrying about uh, carbon tax. Uh, so that's crazy. Uh, we've got a, a provincial government in Alberta that wants pipelines out of the province um, that, the, that, the, that they want the Canadian population to pay for. And, and we've got one, the latest one is going to come in at $30 billion. That would have paid for at least a couple of refineries. Um, the so-called pro-oil uh, government in Alberta uh, wants to export raw oil and uh, is against pipeline or against refinery uh, expansion. The last refinery in, in Alberta uh, was actually funded uh, and supported by the NDP. Uh, the existing refineries in Lloyd Minister were established with federal government money. So if that isn't a crazy situation, I don't know what is. But, yeah, we should be where our, our, our outlook on this is totally skewed. And I think basically because of the, the uh, huge influence that corporations, usually American oil corporations, have had on the Albertan government and on the federal conservative party. And uh, we're, we're in a tough spot because of it. And we, so we've got to start acknowledging where we are, and we've got to start making some changes. You know, if you look at these, like the oil, or the oil or, or mines or <clears throat> natural gas or whatever, we're always working with these mega projects. We're always working with uh, international uh, global companies. We're always exporting everything we produce, and we're always complaining we don't have any jobs. But we don't build any manufacturing or do any manufacturing in this country that actually creates jobs. <clears throat> and, that, you know, I believe that we can. We have to be a little selective. I'm sure that Alberta's got a lot of different industries in that province that actually produce stuff than we do. Because uh, I can't think off the top of my head what we produce in B.C. You know, maybe we do some you know, a couple of slaughterhouses or something, but not very much. And we've got a lot of potential here, so especially in the, in the food industry. You know, I mean, you'd be far better off exporting food uh, than oil. <laughs> and create a lot more jobs. But, but it's not about that anymore. It's about maximum profit, minimum cost, get rid of the jobs, and, and that's what it is. So any ideas how we can get around that? Well, I think, I, well, getting around it is complicated. I, it's certainly the case that our labor costs have uh, led resource extraction without adding value. And I, I'm big on trying to add value. But it's very difficult when companies have looked at going offshore to p add the labor to producing goods because the labor costs in China, for example, and, and other Asian countries is quite low compared to the standard of living and the good living wage that exists in British Columbia. So when you start trying to do a product production that involves, that is labor intense, then your costs are going to be quite high. Getting around that has been a conundrum for British Columbia for a very long time, and I don't see an easy solution to it. Okay. Uh, James, you're just going to go quick and we'll go for a break here. Or we just go for the break. Looks like Reg is Reg is throwing up his arms over there. <laughs> go for the break. Go for the break.
iSpark is still accepting applications for its Winter Equipment Grant Program. All First Nations, Métis chartered communities, and friendship centers are eligible to apply. Not-for-profit organizations delivering Indigenous sport, recreation, or physical activity programs are also eligible. Grant applications can range from $500 to $3,000. Full details and applications are available through iSpark.ca, the Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council Winter Equipment Grant Program. Application deadline is Wednesday. Canadian Arts and Culture Organizations. Student Work Placement Program at the Cultural Human Resources Council is able to provide wage subsidies for post-secondary level students to work for you. A two-minute phone call to confirm your eligibility, 20 minutes to complete the online application, and you'll secure thousands of dollars in less than two weeks. If you hired, currently employ, or would like to hire students, we want to hear from you. Find our contact info at culturalhrc.ca. Indoor public skating season is on through March at Kopar Memorial Arena and the Elk Center. Sessions are available Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Private rental times are also available for birthday parties and special events. Full details and more information can be found under the Programs menu at thenorthedge.co. Whether you're an expert skater or a beginner, indoor public skating is open for you Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at Kopar Memorial Arena, or the Elk Center. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com, At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Just going to finish off this uh, oil and gas uh, topic here. Herb wants to get into uh, uh, Fortescue's uh, ammonia nitrate hydrogen plant. They're talking about building over in BCR uh, Industrial Park. There's some talk of one coming in at uh, McLeod Lake, too. That's a Mitsubishi one. So just give us the idea or some background on what that exactly is, or how it works. Well, so there's an Australian billionaire um, who um, is affectionately known as Twiggy to Australians, um, who's decided that uh, coming over and uh, using all of Site C's electricity to produce hydrogen would be a great idea. And it would be for him uh, because uh, he'd be getting it at uh, uh, BC Hydro's commercial rate of $0.06 a kilowatt hour. And the going rate for electricity in Australia right now is somewhere around $0.30. So he's got a couple of hydrogen plants going in Australia, and they're using renewable energy because the cost of uh, other energy there is so expensive. And the, the, the projects he's got going in Australia are about one-tenth the size of the one he's projected for Prince George. So he, you know, he's quite happy to come in and uh, like oil and gas and uh, like, the, like na- uh, well, the oil, we, we're subsidizing our, our oil exports, we're subsidizing natural gas exports, and now it seems uh, the government and, uh, and a good p- portion of the population of Prince George is ready to subsidize electricity exports because that's what we're doing. We're basically exporting uh, hydro, or BC Hydro's uh, electricity overseas after they turn it into hydrogen. 
So, uh, you know, s somehow people have to get over the uh, idea that uh, because a, a project is um, costs a billion dollars that it's going to be good for the economy. It's not. We're going to be left high and dry uh, with uh, no access to um, reasonable uh, energy sources. And uh, we're going to left, be left with something like 100 jobs. Uh, Fortescue has re recently said it might be as much as 300 but that, I think, includes the construction jobs. So it's a, another pie-in-the-sky uh, uh, scheme for Prince George, and we've heard no, there's been no shortage of it in the last number of years. Uh, West Coast Olefins is the most recently comes to mind, but there's been other crazy schemes as well. And uh, this one, I mean, it's, it's, un, it's unbelievable that it's going forward. Yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, how they go about this. They got to, in order to ship the hydrogen, they got to ship it in ammonia, and uh, and the ammonia gets over to China, wherever it's going. They make fertilizer out of that, then peel off the hydrogen, and it goes to run electricity, I guess, or produce electricity, and then we buy back the uh, fertilizer and other people around the country. It's just insane. <laughs> So um, go ahead, Sheldon. That will get you. Oh, James, go ahead. You, you, you'll go ahead. I'll, I'll defer to James on this first. Uh, Herb's saying as things get going forward. Well, it's proceeding. I mean, it's not. It's not. It hasn't been officially. Uh, I mean, given the green light yet, but I mean, it, it has. No one stopped it, and it's on its face. It's just ludicrous, and and uh, it's the last thing we need. Yeah, I mean, and, and and I don't know if you mentioned the, uh, you didn't mention the inefficiency of this thing. I think it's something like 20% efficiency. So you've got to, to get the an equivalent amount of power out of this electricity, you got to like waste 80% of your power uh, producing to get that last 20%. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy scenario. It's going to consume a double the Site C dam. Okay, people think it's going to be one Site C dam. It's it's a thousand meg. It's going to need a thousand megawatts. So the Site C dam is not going to produce a thousand megawatts. It has the capacity to do that probably at spring freshet. Rest of the year, it's not doing that. It's gonna it's gonna do five hundred on average a day. So, you've got a um, you've got a uh, hydrogen plant that's going to need the double what the Site C is going to produce to to produce a hundred jobs. I wrote a I wrote an op-ed on that. I guess nobody really read it or nobody cares about it. I mean. I guess the, the the play is you get the rest of the province to to spend sixteen billion dollars on a dam, and uh, as long as we get those hundred jobs, well, that's all that we should be talking about. But I think you know that's a big mistake. You got to look at the stuff from a provincial perspective. You got to look at it from the the bigger goal of, of what what the point of society is. Like, what are we doing all this stuff for? And uh, you know, a hydrogen plant that employs a hundred people to produce a product at great inefficiency that goes to China to basically help them produce uh, consumer goods for us to buy at discounted rates is, is ludicrous. Sheldon, you had enough of this one? Well, no, I, I got a couple <laughs> of little comments. I just wanted to... <laughs> I, think, I, I think what we're seeing is an increased pressure on our electrical grid without the infrastructure and ability to support said grid, especially in the times we're in now where we're looking at a significant drought we are really getting low on our ability to operate hydroelectric power because when you have, don't have the water running through the turbines, you're not going to be producing that energy. And when you start looking at reservoirs that are well below their capacities and you start looking at the rivers that are really running quite dry, limited snowpack from the, the drought we've been experiencing here for the past few years, I think it's 
really quite dangerous to be putting all the eggs in the electricity basket when we do need to have a variety of sources to support our ability to heat our homes, to operate our, our transportation systems, and to provide the, uh, the energy to make this province prosperous. So it's probably time to start talking about bugaboos that have been palpably unpopular in, in Canada, or in, at least in BC, but looking again at, uh, at small nuclear reactors might be a, a partial solution. The clean burns very clean. As long as you can start making use of the waste products and keep them uh, to high standards for safety, that, that might be a partial solution because we certainly are not going to be able to meet our electrical power needs on hydro. Uh, I can take issue that because uh, there's one, one thing that uh, BC Hydro that uh, has ignored for a long time, which is pumped um, hydro storage. So the the new setup with uh, with Site C is actually going to provide a perfect uh, opportunity for reusing the water that comes out of the Bennett Dam. Uh, it can be you've got a reservoir below it. You can uh, put in uh, uh, wind or solar power, and when that is working, it it runs extremely cheaply. It's about four cents a kilowatt hour, and you can. Uh, pump the water back up uh, to behind the dam. And uh, that, that way you can uh, extend our uh, uh, hydro uh, facilities at an extremely reasonable rate. Uh, and that's something that hydro has got to be looking into. Okay. Um, kind of interesting that, you know, when they were doing Site C, we didn't hear any talk about exporting uh, hydrogen and or... Uh, <laughs> ammonia and yet here we go now now they're saying their forecast was off by three years there's going to be a shortage of power and we're not going to have enough power and yet we're exporting that and at the same time we're twinning the power line between here and Terrace so we can get more power to go down to Kitimat because they're talking about a second uh, LNG plant in Kitimat there so you know, I, I personally think that these guys have no idea what they're doing. They're just flying by the seat of their pants. So we'll take a break now and uh, think about that for a minute. Be on hand April 5th at the Prince George Playhouse to see three stunningly innovative creations by Ballet Colonna. Tapas and Other Works is the creation of visionary choreographer Cameron Fraser Monroe, set to several songs by Polaris Prize-winning composer and singer Jeremy Dutcher. Featuring influences of classical ballet training, knowledge of traditional coastalish, grass, hoop dance, and contemporary dance. Tapas and other works from Ballet Colonna, April 5th at the Playhouse. Tickets are available at ticketsnorth.ca. Advocate Life and Education Services is seeking a director of pregnancy care services. To start in April, this full-time position is responsible for providing overall leadership to Advocate's Hope for Women program currently operating in three cities across B.C. This includes providing supervision and support to site managers' relational management and quality control of overall client care. Full details on the Director of Pregnancy Care Services position are available through the Employment Opportunities section on the Get Involved page at advocate.ca. The Child Development Center needs help with building wood tables and nesting stools. 
The CDC is also in need of refinishing items previously built. Materials will be supplied by the Child Development Center. However, a place is needed to complete the task. Contact Fabiola Toyata at the Child Development Center by emailing fabiolat at cdcpg.org for more information. You can also reach out to Fabio by calling or texting 250-645-4615. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today, a 60% chance of light snow this morning, a high of minus 2. Tonight, mainly cloudy, a low of minus 7. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of minus 1. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and I'm going to change the subject now and go to uh, changes to the Land Act. Uh, It's going to take place in British Columbia. Uh, There's a couple of columns by Vaughn Palmer there explaining what what it is they're trying to do, and... uh, I'm having trouble understanding it, but that shouldn't shock anybody, but I'm sure other people are having some problems, too. So, anybody up uh, kind of up on speed on this? Uh, you want to start off? Go ahead, James. Yeah, not uh, not really. I mean, I, we haven't seen the legislation yet. I think there's kind of, uh, you know, the, the consultation period is, is out there. I haven't looked into it too much, but, I mean, just in principle, I think, uh, you know, the the... the the overarching policy here is to get um, to get things in management the, with the United Nations Declaration, uh, you know, on consulting Indigenous people on you know and on unceded territory and all that. My concern is is that this is going to you know are we just going to be trading uh, corporate one set of corporate uh, influenced decision um, one set of corporate influenced uh, decision makers with another set. You know, like I think uh, these corporations, like the logging companies, have, have really infiltrated a lot of the the leadership of a, of a lot of of a lot of bands. And you know, you go to the Canfor uh, pulp mill there; they're flying the Gladley Tenney band flag there at the at the mill. You know, and, and is this part of like a PR strategy on their part to basically um, end up and control the thing, regardless of who uh, who we say that uh, controls the land? Because I think that's kind of the concern: is is at the end of the day, you've got um, big corporations kind of controlling things and and are we just going to like basically shuffle the shuffle the cards a little bit and and uh be ended up with the exact same thing as before so i think i think that's my big concern uh, there's also issues of democracy and and you know how how accountability is going to work with this there's a really good op-ed in in the prince george citizen from last week that talked about this you know, you have elected uh, band council leaderships. Like, you know, is that is that necessarily democratic for other First Nations bands across the province who you know don't have a say on on that on that authority? You know, to how how are their interests going to be respected? And and so there's there's a whole bunch of issues with this for sure. Sheldon, well, I th- I think that when the UNDRIP Act in BC got passed in 2019, it kind of set this up and it's going to be a problem and I don't think it's going to provide reconciliation. I think what it does is it provides division and conflict and what's really needed is to look at the fact of the large numbers of disputes between First Nations bands over territory in British Columbia. They don't don't agree that there's more area than the province that is claimed and the idea should be of making sure that First Nations uh, uh, bands are economically 
viable and they can uh, look after themselves without giving up the ability of all British Columbians to have access to and fair use of the land. And I think a co-governance model in this regard is a big mistake. I don't think it's appropriate for the Crown to be establishing another layer of government and a, a co-governance model for the whole that will affect the entire province. And I, I think Nathan Cullen was actually a little bit uh, uh, deceptive by not really announcing this in a big way that he was doing this and then he got called out by the media and he's been, been sort of backpedaling and saying well we have a consultation process that goes a couple of months everybody will have their say and then we want to pass this uh, by the end of the session well this is a, a pretty significant change it's going to affect all aspects of land ownership tenure mining farming ranching uh, uh, private ownership of, of, of land, your, your uh, ability to recreate, to go hunting, all the rest of this could be susceptible to uh, uh, an authority that is outside that of really most British Columbians. So uh, this really needs to be looked at very, very carefully, and it, I, I think it needs to be uh, taken into consideration that that there needs to be much more input from people and I agree with James about the issue about this not being very democratic and it seems to be very authoritarian it's much more champagne socialists trying to uh, decide how everybody else is going to live and I don't think that's the way British Columbians want to go yeah I'd be inclined to agree with that last statement anyway that uh, Herb you got something on that yeah just that um, it's, it sort of seems to this whole decision um, to create new legislation about land use seems to be dodging the whole uh, court system. I mean, Delmagook basically came to a ruling that um, uh, natives had to be uh, consulted on uh, traditional on their on their on on uh, uh, on their territories, our traditional territories for for traditional land use, but that um, the crown had rights for let's say right of ways and. Um, uh, power lines, uh, 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 transportation routes, uh, that this is something that uh, BC had uh, well, basically dominion of, that, uh, that the, uh, you know, there, was, there was some sort of uh, working partnership there with Native uh, uh, groups, but uh, there, at, at the end of the day, uh, BC still had the, the power to uh, approve certain projects. Uh, especially when they weren't traditional, uh, interfere with the traditional use of, the, of those lands. So this seems to be actually ignoring the, the court decision, and it is potentially dangerous and, uh, and potentially chaotic. And we, we've seen a number of corporations basically uh, trying to get um, uh, goofball uh, uh, projects you know, through uh, the court of public opinion, by courting native bands first, and um, uh, you know, and it's hard for native band to uh, refuse, uh, uh, you know, let's say a corporation coming in and promising them all sorts of money, and uh, uh, but you know that it's it's not a it's not a great way to proceed, and uh, we we need a firm hand on the tiller, and um, you know we've got a we've got a government a democratically elected government of British Columbia, and I think we've got to look for it. Uh, for uh, for final 
decision-making capability. Well, have fun with that because uh, this <coughs> situation here that we're talking about is just came out of get this left field, and <laughs> <laughs> nobody nobody seen it coming, and all of a sudden there it is sitting on your doorstep, and now the, by March thirty first we got to figure this all out, and even then once we figure it out we have no say in it because well, it'd we, be a done deal. We put the brakes on uh, Horgan's uh, museum down in Victoria. We can do the same for this. Yeah, like we put the brakes on Site C, Horgan Site C. It wasn't Horgan's. Well, it was, but he didn't shut it down. <laughs> anyway, we're going to go for a break now, and then we'll come back on a different subject. The Indigenous Sport and Physical Activity Council is hiring for remote employment across B.C. iSpark is currently seeking a general manager, a grants and finance assistant, and a regional coordinator for Vancouver Island. Applications for each position will be accepted until the position is filled. For information on the application process and full position details, visit ispark.ca. The Indigenous Sport and Physical Activity Council, seeking a regional coordinator for Vancouver Island, a general manager, and a grants and finance assistant. Learn how to take great winter wonderland photos with the Arts North Winter Photography Workshop Saturday. Instructor Michael Cast will help you get the right exposure so your snowy scene is crisp and white. Sign up and be ready for some classwork and a Cottonwood Island Park excursion. Registration and full details are available through the Arts North link at studio2880.com. The Winter Photography Workshop with Michael Cast Saturday from 10 to noon at Studio 2880. If you're looking for a venue space for your next creative adventure, Studio 2880 has you covered. The Jack Bryant Room is an open concept ground floor venue, or you can rent a second floor workshop zone. The gift shop is also available for your pop-up sales event, and upstairs are the Arts North Studios, where you can utilize modern equipment to film, stream, project, or play your digital files. Check out Studio2880.com under Facility Rental and book for your event today. Celebrate the Year of the Dragon Saturday with a special Lunar New Year event at your Prince George Public Library. There will be a traditional Chinese lion dance performance by the Chinese Benevolent Association. Themed activities will be curated by Speak Right Academy and the New Bomb Korean School Society. It's a free all-ages drop-in event, the Lunar New Year Celebration noon to four Saturday at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and uh, we'll go to a different subject now. <clears throat> uh, January 1st, the uh, YXS is going to increase the airport improvement fee to uh, by $10.00 takes it up to $35 when you fly out of Prince George. That's in addition to a lot of other taxes on your tickets. Um, so I did a quick check uh, comparatively across Canada. And that $35 fee that they're charging here is, uh, with a few exceptions like Prince Rupert and maybe Fort McMurray, is the highest fee in Canada. And uh, a lot of towns uh, with airports is a lot lower. So, you know, I don't know if they just pull these ideas out of their head or whatever. They were going to do this back in 2016 or something, and we raised a little hell about it, and uh, and they actually backed off a little bit. But now they're back, all their flame and glory, and they got uh, $50 million they want to spend over uh, five years. 
or $10 million over five years for airport expansions. An overlay on the uh, the new uh, uh, runway that we have there. Other than that, they're not saying too much what they're going to spend this money on. But the question is, you know, if we got at the same time that's coming in, we got a tax increase coming in. We've got this stuff we've been talking about, what's going on, uh, and then in the bush and all kinds of things going on, and it's a whole intent here, inadvertently or not, just to confuse the hell out of us so we have no idea what's going on. Because I certainly get that feeling. Like, who's looking after our interests at the airport? Who's looking after our interests and standing up and saying no more tax increases? Because they absolutely and totally refuse to listen to what we say. They always justify everything they do, but they make the, the comment that we're going to increase taxes, then they justify it. You know, I'd like to see them come up with some sort of a program where they can reduce taxes. It's possible. And when times are tough, corporations do it all the time. They cut their costs. The city seems to have a problem in that area. But there's too much of this information for the average Jane and Joe to um, to really sit down and think about it and make decisions based on the information available because we're not getting the real good information. What do you say? Well, Sheldon, I, I believe that we are well past the threshold for a tax revolt, in, not just in Canada, but in British Columbia and, and even probably in our, in our communities. Canadians are one of the most heavily taxed people in the world. We are starting to realize that we get less for our tax money than we should be, and this be, is because of the temptations of various governments over, over many, many years, many governments, to overspend and to build up deficits which contribute to a larger debt. And I think when you see the airports charging, or our airport charging far more than is uh, standard for uh, North American airports, let alone airports in British Columbia or, or other places in Canada, I think it's an indication of this, well, how much can we milk the cow for? And uh, it, it's just people aren't saying no. And I think it's probably because they don't feel they can. I mean, we saw three years of people being told what to do and for the most part blindly accepting it without any critical thinking or critical analysis and when you start looking in hindsight maybe a little bit of critical thought wouldn't have been a bad thing and when we, when I see people wanting to up taxes and increase rates again and again and again without taking steps to reduce debt and the, the accumulated deficits I'm very, very concerned for what this will mean generally for our economy and our ability to be viable economically. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to uh, James now. Well, I, I think uh, the part of the part of the reason here is the airport has us over a bit of a barrel. You know, we used to have a Greyhound. We used to have BC Rail. There's multiple ways to get down to Vancouver, and, uh, and the airport was just one of those options. Now it's pretty much if you don't have... Uh, access to a vehicle it's kind of your only option and uh you know it was it's hard to believe uh, that you know that 35 dollar fee i remember i'm so old i remember you could get a standby ticket uh, on air canada to vancouver for like 90 bucks so this is a third of that now they want uh, so you're telling me i, I actually haven't been on the airplane for a really long time because i don't want to spend 800 dollars to fly to <laughs> vancouver and back so i don't do it but um so you're telling me they they tack 35 dollars onto that yes that's yeah which is the highest yeah i read that article one of the highest in the countries i mean 
they built that big airport expansion for all that uh, that in, inland port concept, right? I mean, how, how's that going? Is that I guess that's not going too well. Uh, so we got to milk milk the passengers flying the little airplanes out out of that airport. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's just one more symptom of of where where society's going and and kind of. You know, I think I think there needs to be a bit of a retraction as far as uh, government and, and all these services that we think we're entitled to. Yeah, there's another thing we had on here that I didn't get into. This uh, greedflation. I didn't think we were going to get to it, but uh, uh, accounts for about half of the inflation is greed. People raising prices. Now, there's other sorts of greed. You know, you can have boards of directors and presidents and CEOs of these uh, government entities. And, uh, you know, they want to increase their salaries or something. They find ways to do it and very innovative ways. And if you if you look at the airport authorities uh, year end reports, it, it won't tell you specifically how much the top people get paid. But it gives you a number like five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the year paid to the four top people and leaves it up to you to figure out who got the most of the gravy. But little manipulations like that, instead of just saying, I'm getting paid this, you know. So then you got this information. Now what do you do with it, you know? Well, the CBC is an example of, of that as well. We're seeing them argue about their bonuses and what's a bonus and what's not a bonus and, uh, and all of that. But I think it's Herb's turn to... Yeah, just a quick uh, note. I mean, the, uh, Prince George calls itself an international airport, but it doesn't have a Class Three uh, ILS instrument landing system. And uh, so there's a lot of flights that uh, don't make it to uh, uh, either depart or arrive at Prince George due to fog. And um, this is something, uh, uh, there's four other airports in Canada that uh, already have it. Uh, if Prince George wants us to start, um, you know, uh, charging, uh, you know, sky-high fees, then uh, perhaps uh, they should uh, be putting in some real uh, equipment to justify it. But uh, that's not in the in the spending plan. And... Uh, I think there's there's got to be some uh, investigation into what they're up to. Well, they hacked down a bunch of trees around the runway. <laughs> you spoke Finnish there, James? <laughs> no, actually. I, we're going to wrap, wrap here pretty quick. <laughs> well, hold on. Can I say one more thing? <laughs> quick. I, I went through the city budget there, the, the expense account from last year, and there's a, I counted uh, 345 positions, and 168 of those positions are over $100,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up now. I want to thank everybody that listened to the program today. Thank my uh, panel for coming in, and uh, we'll talk to you again next Monday. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM, 103.9.